This is the Biz of Wealth. Challenges, rumblings, and evolution of the wealth management industry. Welcome, everybody, to the Business of Wealth. Today, I'm here with Lindsay White, who is the founder and principal of High Voltage Leadership. And she's a leadership coach and people's operation consultant. Hi, Lindsay. Great to have you here. Hi, I am so glad to be here. We are going to talk about a lot uh, of your experience with managing people in the financial services industry, which is where a lot of our listeners come from. And I'd like to open up with a simple question. Um, What is the best compliment you have ever received? Oh, you know, that is such a great question. And, and I'll preface it by saying that for a really long time, I wasn't very good at receiving compliments. You're nodding. So you know what I'm talking about. And I think as women in particular, we always sort of downplay when someone says, hey, you're awesome at, or you do a really good job of, or I really love it when you do this. And we're like, oh, you know, we kind of, we, we push it off. We push it away. So it took me a long time, but I think the, the best compliment that I get, it was just this morning, right? You made my whole day, your energy, your high voltageness made my whole day. And I love that. I love that when I can bring energy to other people. That's amazing. I like it. It goes very well with your brand, actually. Right? That's yeah. why it's high voltage leadership. That's me. So as a consultant, and, you know, we know it has been one, it is right nowadays, one of the greatest challenges in all organizations to manage people, manage yeah. talent, manage resources, even not even managing, like hiring. But when you talk to leaders, what is the one question you wished you were asked more often? Like that leaders would ask me. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very simple one, but I wish leaders would ask more often, um, how do I get better feedback from my team? Right? How do I get them to tell me what they need? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I think when we listen as a leader, when we ask for that feedback and we really listen, they will tell us what we need to be working on. Right. And it's hard to listen to those answers too. Yes, it is. It's how do you how do you get them to listen, to really listen and act on it? Yeah. So what I like to talk to leaders about when it comes to listening. So first and foremost, leadership. Uh, Listening is a leadership skill, and it's actually a skill that we have to work on. It's not actually something we come programmed with. We have to practice listening. And that sounds counterintuitive, right? Like, what do you mean? I've been listening my whole life. But actually to listen effectively is a skill, and it is a leadership skill. Mm -hmm. And there are three levels of listening. There's first of all, there's listening to respond, right? That's when I'm listening to you only in so far as to come back with my own response to you. There's listening to connect, 
right? So that is really to hear what someone is saying so that I can connect to it. I can empathize with it. I can understand it. And then in that space, I can really create a conversation. And then there's a third level of listening, which is listening to what's not being said. And I think that leaders, first of all, need to listen to connect. Like that, that to me is the admission ticket as a leader. If you can't do that, if you are only listening to respond and solve problems, you aren't truly listening to your team. You're probably not listening to your clients either, by the way. Um, you need to listen to connect, but the what the real magic as a leader is when you can listen to what's not being said, when you can tap into the nonverbals. 75% of communication is done without language. It's, it's body posture, it's tone of voice, it's cadence, it's speed, it's inflection, right? It's also a little bit intuition, yeah. right? Leaning into, hey, wait a minute, what they're saying and what, they're, what they look like and also what I'm sort of picking up are not, they're not the same. What's going on here? I love That's Amazing. Body language is number one in my dictionary, but... How do you teach leaders to make that transition? How do you teach them to not only, well, first of all, going from, I love those three levels of listening, going from one to two and from two to three, but even when you are on, you know, the listening to what is not being said, how do you connect with the person to read that? How do you get them out of what they're saying and into what they're not saying? How do you make that transition in the conversation? Yeah. So the short answer is you have to practice. <laughs> you, you, first of all, you have to have someone give you the feedback. You have to have an open mind to receive that feedback that actually you're not really listening, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be ready to do the, to do the work. Then you have to practice. And so the way I approach it with the, with the individuals that I coach is that I ask them to be a bit of an anthropologist, to get curious, right? To really examine their conversations almost from the 50,000 foot level, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and really ask questions um, that come naturally out of that conversation and to really lean into that, right? So you really have to think about, even as I'm talking to you, okay, I hear them saying this, how can I get curious about what they're saying? What, and using questions like why, what, how, all of those in an open-ended way. So for example, why do you think that? Or where, where is that come? You know, where is that coming from? Or what kind of experience did you have? Right? And, and actually being really purposeful and really getting curious in the way you ask those questions. And then examining again from that anthropological level, how do people respond to that? Oh, well, that was interesting. When I asked her, why was that important? Her body language changed. She sat up, she leaned forward, right? Or 
man, she really shrunk and sat back and crossed her arms. She didn't look like, you know, that didn't. So you, you really have to become a bit of a journalist about it so that you're examining it. Right. Any, any course or tools you have seen that gave you a really good understanding of body language? Yeah. You know, here's the trick. You're not going to get, I mean, you can get the basic idea and, and get the tactical information from a book or a course, but you have to practice. It is all in making it come alive, right? right? So yes, I mean, are there books out there about, you know, in particular books that I love about difficult conversations and how to have those? And, and certainly, I mean, I can send you some links you could put in the show notes, but in all reality, it, it is uh, the biggest part of becoming a better communicator and connector as a leader is actually practicing and then saying to the person, I would love your feedback. Can you tell me what went well for you in this conversation? What was difficult or tricky? And what could I do differently to make our connection stronger? Right. The feedback is the most powerful part. You can learn some tools and techniques, but you got to practice them. So we went all the way into listening, but I wanted yeah. to go back to, you know, what's happening right now. And it, it's both attracting and retaining talent in general. Yeah. That has been a challenge. So in financial services firms, you've had the experience. What is the one, number one recommendation you give um, clients when recruiting talent, when looking and looking for people and recruiting them? So I actually just started working very recently with an organization in the financial accounting world on um, their recruitment strategy and branding and, and of course, execution. And the number one piece of advice uh, for me is that you have to be very clear about who you're looking for. And that's not just skills and experience because that is a piece, only a piece of the puzzle. And it is the pieces organizations we focus on the most, but in all reality, what we're missing when we do that is actually the cultural fit. The, the 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 values of the individual. So in order to put those two pieces together, right, the competency and the fit, you actually need to really understand what does your organization value? And, and not just we have five values, but how? How are those values present in our business? How do we live those values every day as an organization? Are, are, are certainly the mission but also how do we see that show up in our best employees, right? So we really have to have a deep understanding of what our organization is all about, what our culture is. And when we can bring that information into our recruitment brand and our strategy, like actually how we recruit, we can ask better questions, we can assess answers, from our candidates to make sure that, not, again, not only can, you know, from a financial services perspective, do they have the right experience? Do they work with the right kind of clients in the past? You know, do they have a certain book that they're bringing? We can measure that easily. What's a little harder to measure is that fit. Do their values match our values? 
Um, do do does their mission as a as a financial services professional does that really align with what we are trying to create? How do you say that match in terms of values doing an interview? I always yeah. find it super hard because you know doing the interview is like dating. You're on your best behavior. You say all the yeah. right things. You want to say all the right things, and yeah. um, you know it's it's hard to get through to that, right? It really is about asking the right questions and knowing the answer that you're looking for, at least in a general way. So I'll give you an example. If we have a value of integrity, because a lot of financial services organizations, integrity is important, right? We have fiduciary duties to our clients and those kinds of things. So it's really about crafting a question that gets into how that person shows integrity, mm. right? But we have to know what integrity means in our, in our, in our business. We have right. to have a really clear definition and be able to say how we do integrity at this financial institution. Then I can go to a client and say, give me an example of a time when this thing that we do showed up for you, or you did this thing, or maybe it was, this thing was a challenge to your integrity. Right. Give me an example of that. Then I need to know, on the other hand, what am I looking for in terms of a great answer? Right. And it doesn't you, you know, you don't you need to have a few bullet points, a general idea. This is what says integrity in our business. These are the actions. These are the thought patterns. This is the problem solving. Right. So when we can again, when we are clear on what our values are, what they mean for us, how they show up in the work we do every day. We can create the questions that then go to the candidate and ask them how they do it. And if they don't do it in the way that we need it done, they're not the right candidate, right? So they can look pretty, like your metaphor about going on the date. Maybe they look like a great date, but they're not it. They're not marriage material. Not marriage material. That's exactly it, (laughs) right? So I've seen some clients actually face the problem of even not getting like applications, not getting yeah. people. You know, what, yeah. what creative ways have you seen organizations actually make that outreach and get to the talent that they want? I think about recruitment branding in the same way I think about your marketing, right? Your business brand. So when it comes to our recruitment brand, if we're not attracting the right talent, then we actually need to understand, first of all, again, who are we looking for, right? Who's the right person? What are their competencies and attributes, right? Where do those people hang out? Where do they live? Where do they socialize? What are the things that, the same way we would do that work to find our our perfect client? Oh, that's nice. It's a view of, yeah, lead generation process. Exactly. It, It is the same thing only it, we are advertising something different. And what we're advertising is us, our culture. Come and work for us and here is why. And so that's the other piece is we need to be clear about what our value proposition is to these talented people. Why do they want to come and work for you? There's a thousand financial services firms out there. What makes you special? Well, you likely have already done that work, except you need to translate that for a candidate, not for a client, right? That's your culture. That's your purpose. That's your mission, right? That's the, 
you know, it's not just about the pay, but certainly being competitive. If you are paying below market rate and you're not getting candidates, it's exactly why. It's also about your reputation. Do you treat the people that work for you right now very well? Because I'll tell you what, there's several places online where your uh, past employees are telling everybody about what a terrible place you are to work. And if you're not paying attention to that, if you are not doing exit interviews and you are not looking at Glassdoor and Indeed and Workopolis and ZipRecruiter for their what they're posting in the feedback, if you're not paying attention to that, that's a good place to, it, you know, a good reason why you might not be attracting candidates because they tell each other and they know you, you're a terrible employer, <laughs> right? Just like clients, just like clients. Just like clients. So once, then, yeah, once you attract them, then, you know, because going to yeah. your point, you have to attract them, but also retain them and yes. keep them happy. Yes. <laughs> it seems like some organizations feel like that's a ton of work. Uh, so how do you, what's the, what, what's the, give me three or four recommendations huh. you give to keep talent from leaving, to keep them engaged. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond money, of course, money is one, yeah. one yeah. big factor, but. Hey, we all got to make money. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we all got to make money. Um, so first of all, what I say to clients is, yes, it's going to cost you time and, and money to retain your top talent. It's going to cost you between three and five times that amount to go out and recruit a new one. Right. And I'm talking man hours, expenses, all, all you know, like time away from from your client activities. The truth is it's cheaper to retain the talent you have and train them and grow them and upskill them than it is to go and hire new talent. Better the you know the devil you know than the devil you don't, right? Like so so that's the most important part. It is absolutely worth your investment. So number 1, for heaven's sake, listen to them. Ask them what they want, they will tell you. For goodness sake, just go to them like one on one. Talk to your people and say, what what would make you feel valued and engaged here? What what is it going to take to keep you here? Now, I'm not promising anything right now. I'm gathering information. But for goodness sake, just ask. Right. They'll tell you what they want. I know. So They're just people. They're human beings. I know. Every single one of us. We have basic needs in our workplaces. We want to feel seen, heard, respected, and like we belong. And I would tell you that last one is the most important. You need to foster a space where people feel like they belong, like the work that they do adds value. Help them understand and connect to your mission, your vision, right? Help them see their own personal values reflected in the business values. Tell them the compelling story about why you're doing what you're doing. Get them enrolled in that. Help them to see how they play a part in what you're trying to build and, and grow and create, right? And then build programs and processes. So for example, an engagement program that enables them to have choice because what engages one person doesn't engage another. You and I, we're moms. So what is engaging for us is our families and time and activities and experiences with them, right? But if I'm a single 25-year-old male 
That's not engaging for me. What is, right? It can be very individualized, but that doesn't mean it it needs to be expensive. It just needs to be meaningful. So give me some ideas. I've worked with small organizations and bigger ones, but the smaller ones have, you know, sometimes it's more flexible and you, you know, you have them vote and do, you know, and, and do surveys and it's easier to implement. Sometimes it gets harder. How do you personalize their experience? And I, I've had all school CEOs say, oh, I don't want to do all the social stuff. It's not worth it. How, how, how do you respond to all that? And how you, what, what campaigns have you done that you've seen work? Yeah. So my response to the old school CEO that says, I don't want to go and socialize with my team. <laughs> so I won't use my inside voice. What I would say to them is, Suck it up. (laughs) This isn't about you. Yeah. Engagement is about them. Now, there's an opportunity to find ways to engage with your team that are meaningful for you and for them. Like nobody should have to suffer, right? Like that's not what this is about. So let's come up with some creative ways that you can still connect with them. Right. One of the least expensive ways to engage your team and keep them engaged regular conversations that are just about them, not about work, not about deliverables, not about goals. So I set up a one-on-one meeting with you every second week for 45 minutes. And I ask you how you are doing, what you are up to, what you love and enjoy, what challenges you're experiencing in your life. That is the least expensive and most effective way to engage your team. And I have to tell you, I am consistently horrified at how many leaders do not have regular one-on-ones with their team that are just about human connection. We're always talking about our deliverables. We're always talking about our projects. You know what? We're people and we are programmed to connect. That's who we are. That's the cheapest and easiest way to connect with your team and to grow your engagement. I love it because when you develop a personal relationship with your team, that's when they flourish. That's 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 the reality of it. Yeah, and and that's when you know what they love. So maybe you have a team member that loves to, you know, they love to go mountain biking. So what's going to keep? What's going to make them feel rewarded? Well, I'm going to go to the bike shop and I'm going to get them this cool $25 camelback thing so they can have their water on their back while they ride their bike. Didn't cost me a ton of money. Okay. Nickels, nickels and dimes, right? They feel really special because you bought them something as a reward that was truly meaningful. You were listening to them. They feel seen, heard, and like they belong. It's that simple. So how would you define a good leader? My definition of a really good leader is someone who can lead in a multidimensional way. First and foremost, they lead from within. They know who they are. They know what they value. They know what's important. They know what their purpose, their mission, right? The real meaning is for them. They're connected to that. They feel confident and grounded in that. That's key. If you can't connect to yourself, if you don't know what you're all about, how are you going to connect and lead others? It's, it it is just that simple. Then they are a leader who can lead from the front, right? Who can be present, who can be focused, who can lead the charge, but they also know 
when is the time to step back and let other people lead, right? So they grow, they grow other leaders. That's what makes a, a leader great is they grow other people. They can also lead effectively with someone else. Because we all have been in that situation where we've had co-leaders on a project and all they do is try and one-up each other. It's an arm wrestling match. To be a truly great leader, you can co-lead effectively with someone else without making it a power contest. Right? So basically, what you're saying is you, you have to know yourself and be confident. Uh, you have to be able to grow other leaders and be able to share the seat. Yeah. And, and, and know when you have to share, know when, know which seat you have to be in when. When is it time to step forward and lead boldly? When is it time to step back and let others embrace leadership? When is it time to lead with someone else really productively? Um, that I think is what makes a really, a really solid, really powerful and impactful leader. This has been a great conversation because we like, I love it that you see um, the recruiting and the managing of teams the same way we see um, our scalability approach to managing companies and actually creating customer journeys um, in the same way. Uh, they're actually the same way. So if you're a good leader, you're going to be a good leader for your team and you're going to be a good leader for your following outside of the company, right? Exactly. And those leaders are always like, you can find examples of them all over, right? But also you can find some with dissonance, right? So yep. if I think of it, like I see, I don't know, I've heard of the toxic culture in Amazon, yep. right? Bezos may be a visionary, but I've heard he's not that great of a leader. But he was also able to build leaders within his organization, right? Yeah. So you can you know, step aside yeah. in a way. Yeah. Get out of your own way. Exactly. Oh, 100%. I think it's also important to mention creating a culture where everyone feels like they lead. Right. When we lead from within, every, that means everyone has the opportunity to find their own leadership brand and style. So you create an organization that is filled from top to bottom with people that lead. Right. Doesn't mean that I have direct reports on an org chart. Right. But in every interaction with a client in particular, every interaction with a colleague, every interaction with a process. I lead, right? That, that is a culture where people, again, they feel respected, they feel valued, um, and they feel like they have impact in, in everything that they do. And ultimately, like when your team is happy and they feel like they're well-led, they feel like they get to lead, they make your clients happy. And what happens? Your clients bring you all their money. They yeah. want to do more business with you. It's like, that's the equation at its ba most basic, right? Okay. So I'd like to do these quick fire, yeah. rapid fire questions. Sure. Um, tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. I believe that w the phrase work-life balance is complete BS. 
I love that. <laughs> I completely <Yeah>. agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe there's a few people agree with me, but we hear a lot of experts talking about you have to have work life balance. I think that's garbage, right? I, I don't I don't think that that's truly achievable. I believe in creating a work and life blend, and and that one that serves you individually based on your own values, your own purpose, the things that are important to you and that make you feel fulfilled and joyful. That's beautiful. What is your favorite word? Oh, that is such a great question. I'm going to say empowered. Why? Because I think it's it's strong. It is filled with energy, which of course is me. Um, I, I think it is a word that is enabling. It still has growth in it, um, but it's powerful, forward-looking growth. That's amazing. So um, final one, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it say? It would be my life purpose statement, which is that I am the high voltage extension cord that connects you to your inner brilliance. Oh, wow. You have your own. You've done your, your, uh, yep. your homework. Yes. I love it. Yes. I love it. I am the high voltage extension cord that connects you to your inner brilliance. Okay. With that, I thank you so much for being here. I don't want to ruin, ruin it with closing anything. That's a beautiful statement. And I thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure, Lindsay. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much.